0: the Lord, everybody. On the wonderful God we serve, and how great He is, and it's just so wonderful for us to be gathered in church together, worshiping together, and uh, to hear His Word. And I pray and trust God to guide me and to lead me and to help me as I minister of the Word. Um, earlier this evening, before I came, when I come in a little bit, I was speaking to Brother Matthew, and he. The last time I, I ministered the word, I didn't have all my notes. Something went wrong. I don't know what it was. So he asked me if I've got, oh, it's going funny here. He asked me if I've got all my notes uh, tonight. But I just want to show you this. This is the part. These are the parts of the notes that are not in here. <laughs> That's attachment. So, um, ministering the the message of course tonight is in his steps. So, um, if you have your Bibles, and I would like I would like to ask you if you want to to turn to the scriptures that are referenced. It gives me great pleasure to hear the the rustle of the pages being turned in the Bible. But of course, otherwise, if you don't have your Bible, um, we have the words on the screen behind us. So, our first scripture tonight. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience And the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. And in this scripture, there are certain things that I'd like to dwell on a little bit. And the first one of those uh, uh, um, points would be talking about strangers. He says, uh, uh, the, the apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers. History claims that there were Jews who had lived in Rome since the 2nd century BC. At that time, Julius Caesar and Augustus supported laws that allowed the Jews' protection to worship in the ways they were accustomed to. And now we come to the period of 62 to 64 AD, when Apostle Peter writes this first epistle addressed to the strangers. Because they were Jewish Christians living in these Roman provinces in Asia Minor, They were part of the Jews who were scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Here I would just like to insert a small passage on how the Israelites became to be named Jews. And in part, I quote, In the term Jew is derived from the name of Jacob's fourth son, Judah. Yehedua, which of course I'm not pronouncing properly, is the Hebrew word for praise. Judah was one of the twelve tribes of Israel, And David, as a descendant of Jesse, was of the tribe of Judah as well. But the most important fact about this tribe is that our Savior Jesus Christ comes from that tribe as well. At some time in early history before Christ, the kingdom of Israel was conquered by Sennacherib, the Assyrian king. And then 10 tribes were exiled. I mean, all the the 10 tribes were exiled and lost. The only remaining... Israelites were the residents of the kingdom of Judah. And the Hebrew term Yehedi or Jew came to refer to all the Israelites regardless of their tribal ancestry. As a matter of interest, in regard to the tabernacle in the wilderness, as God instructed, when camped, the tribe of Judah occupied the greatest area on the eastern side facing the tabernacle entrance. Just behind the tents of Aaron the high priest, and when it was time to move camp, Judah was the tribe that led to the next de- uh, destination. Back to the epistle of Peter, it was written at a very at a time when cruel, severe, horrendous, and vicious persecution was taking place against the believers in Christ. The persecution was carried out by orders given by the Roman Emperor Nero. Peter addressed them as the elect. And this is the second point I would like to dwell on for a little while. The word elect means chosen. So who then are the elect Peter is addressing? Not quite an easy question to answer, but in making reference to Isaiah 45 and 4, it says, For Jacob, my servant's sake, And Israel, mine elect. So we might ask this question, how was Israel God's elect? This question is easy to answer, and it goes back to God's call of Abraham, which is recorded in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. And I paraphrase. God called Abraham saying, go from your country, your people, and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. So by Abraham's obedience to the call of God, the nation of Israel, with the established belief that there's only one God, came into existence. And God changed Abraham's name to Abraham. And he, his son Isaac, and his grandson Jacob are referred to as the patriarchs, which are the ancestors of Israel. Peter knows that the Jews he was addressing in this epistle would identify with the elect because of their knowledge of their history. However, I'm not finished with the elect and would like to join to my next point, which would read, e- elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And foreknowledge means be, to know beforehand. When it comes to salvation, We know that salvation is not and never was intended to be exclusive to Israel who is referred to as God's elect as I said before in the scriptures already mentioned. In fact, Israel was under the laws of God which was given to Moses when they came out of Egyptian bondage. Now bearing in mind that the meaning of the word elect is chosen, I declare that we all, everyone, everywhere, are God's elect when I refer to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And Romans 8 and 32 and 33 says, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay any thing to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. So to continue with the epistle, in verse 6, Peter states that for a period of time, they are in heaviness through manifold they are in Sorry, they are in heaviness through manifold temptations. And the word temptations here means trials. Apparently, these trials pertain to the persecutions they were suffering rather than the normal trials of life and in their discouragements and their sufferings that this brings. But Peter comfortly, comfortingly speaks of a near and beloved Savior and the privilege of being a Christian in that we are redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. All of us face trials, temptations, and difficulties. And from time to time, we suffer during these periods. Sorry, I've said that wrong. We do suffer during these periods of trials and tribulations and temptations, as it says in the Word. But Peter says that we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. The third point I would like to dwell on is that of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit. My studies on this subject have led me to believe that this would be in reference to the coming of the Holy Spirit to the Virgin Mary, miraculously causing her to conceive and give birth to the Son of God. And here I would like to quote Luke 1 and 35. The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And now the fourth point is referencing the sprinkling of blood of Jesus. The sting of death is sin, and this is what keeps us out of heaven. But the death and the shed blood of Jesus Christ was, has conquered that. And our sins can be forgiven. And this is needed because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And it's not any blood, not anybody's blood. It must be the blood of Jesus Christ, pure and sinless. How wonderful it is for us that in our frail humanity, we can have our sins forgiven be washed and cleansed, and be made ready to enter into heaven. And this is all glory and honor to God for this wonderful plan of salvation since Adam and Eve. The Holy Spirit and the shedding of sinless blood are absolutely essential for our salvation. And because of the... Now moving on, because elect is mentioned and because we are sorry, because there were Jews scattered in the Roman provinces who are addressed by Peter in this epistle, does that mean that salvation is exclusive to the Jews? No, not at all. And here I reference Galatians chapter 3, verses 28 and 29. Neither is there Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For all, for, our, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus, and verse twenty nine, and if ye be Christ's, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Amen. In a call to spiritual growth, Peter writes on the subjects of responsible conduct among responsible conduct among believers responsible conduct towards civil authority, and responsible conduct of slaves towards their masters. And I know clearly that the subject of slaves and masters does not affect us in this modern day and age. But the point that I'm reaching for is the last words of verse, verse 21, which says, Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example to follow in his steps, as written in this scripture, the example Christ has left is that he did not sin, neither was God found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but he committed himself to him that judges righteously. And if we can do likewise, then we are following in his steps. That's the example that Jesus has set before us. Not the only example, but as far as this is concerned, that is the example to follow in his steps is is, is the scripture that I've just read. In Peter's own life, in his spiritual growth, he experienced some awkward situations, some hardships, and some difficulties. And for this uh, point of view, I believe that he is qualified to speak of suffering. And um, when Brother Gavin was uh, ministering this morning, I felt I'd like to get his notes and cut and paste some of those things that he said, amen. It was so beautiful, and, and the whole message was absolutely beautiful, so, but a lot of it tied up with what I'm talking about here in a way, and I was really grateful to hear that. So speak Peter, I believe because of what if he went through, he's qualified to speak of suffering. As a disciple of Jesus, he had some highs and some lows, and I mentioned just a few. As we all know, he recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. This is a great and wonderful high in his spiritual growth. At one time, Jesus spoke to his disciples, saying that they would be offended by him. Peter immediately responded and said he would never be offended. However, this conversation just preceded Peter's denial of Jesus Christ. There were more instances where Peter failed, and I'm not mentioning them all here, but the emphasis is that Peter overcame. He did not give up, and he continued with Jesus to the point of preaching on the day of Pentecost to all that were there to listen. He was a missionary. He was used by God in healing, as the Word of God tells us, that people brought the sick into to the streets, and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There were many, many healings recorded in the word of God, and Peter has written in this epistle, sorry, sorry, there are many healings in the word of God but honestly, and really, I don't really want to talk about suffering and hardships and all of those difficulties in life, but it is inescapable and is always prevalent in one way or another. So further in our scripture growth, we will be faced with hardships which we need to overcome, and we can overcome these with God's help. Unfortunately, We learn things with hardships. We don't learn things very much when life is easy and flowing uh, without any problems or difficulties. And we don't have any decisions to make. And we don't have to look too far. Everything is just running along smoothly. But it's when we have obstacles and hardships and difficulties, it causes us to think. It causes us to make decisions. It causes us to seek the Lord and ask for his direction and ask for his help. In this epistle of Peter, we understand that there are blessings of salvation by faith and that the trial of our faith is much more precious than gold, which perishes through though it be tried with fire. If we consider our journey from here to heaven, we are going to need strength, tenacity, endurance, perseverance, persistence, and faithfulness to attain our destination. In life, when we go on a trip, we pack drinks and foodstuffs, a GPS, road maps, suitable warm clothing, make sure we've got our telephones and all charged, all this in order to sustain us until we reach our destination. Spiritually, we are on a journey to a final destination. We have no idea of what may lay ahead of us, We have no idea how long the journey is going to take. We have no idea of much at all about this journey that is ahead of us. But we need to take spiritual food. When we go on this journey, we need to be sure that we have spiritual food. We need to be sure that we have directions that we can follow. We need to be sure that we are vigilant and take our spiritual armor and be adorned in suitable clothing which is all preparation to attain our destination. For us to become strong and enduring strength in this world, we can apply discipline and go regularly and consistently to the gym, where we will find a variety of exercise equipment, all of which is especially made to help us gain and maintain strength in all applicable areas of our bodies. However, discipline is required for us to do the ep- exercises. The apparatus is not going to do it by itself. We need to place ourselves in or on the apparatus and cooperate with the functions of such apparatus. In the gym, we can lift weights, we can go on a rowing boat, we can run a treadmill, we can ride a bicycle, etc., etc., And we grow as a result in fitness, develop muscles, enjoy the benefits of this fitness and strength. For our spiritual growth and development, we should go to the spiritual gym. The exercises in the spiritual gym require discipline. And right here is the first obstacle for us to overcome. The apparatus we find in the spiritual discipline is that of lifting weights. This could be spiritually the turning of the pages in our Bible, lifting our hands and turning the pages of our Bible to read regularly and we can persevere in pushing our limits in lifting those weights. We can go on the rowing boat which would be flowing with all the activities and the fellowships that are planned in each department for us to enjoy and join together with. We can run on the treadmill. This might represent our prayer life. It gives us distance, although physically we remain in the same place. We may go over the same ground again and again and again until we attain our purpose, but we endure. We can ride a bicycle, which can give us speed and distance. That would be our church attendance representing our transport to get there. In all these activities, we will develop spiritual muscles, strength, endurance, and growth. And the bonus is that we have joy, that our faith is continually being developed, our focus is on God, and our relationship with him grows and grows and grows. I read on the internet that some of the benefits of spiritual health are that stress and depression is reduced, and this in itself Helps us to cope better with difficulties that we may face. Sometimes we feel (coughs) we may feel lethargic, miserable, tired, weary, not strong, listless, struggling with minor issues, and on and on. In a case such as this, the question we can ask is have I been to the gym? Have I been to the gym? A lot of the problems we experience can be attributed to trials of our faith. We must grow and develop in our faith, and we need to be strong and have tenacity to travel the journey and to stay on the course. And as we have trials of our faith and successfully overcome, we might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. The bottom line is that we cannot avoid trials and difficulties. But we can do this, but what we can do is gird up the loins of our minds, be sober, which in this instant means be sensible, be obedient as little children, and not fashioning ourselves according to the former lusts. May I ask you to stand, please, and could I ask Sister Siddink if she'll play the piano for us? In closing, I have a scripture to read, but before I read that scripture, I just want to say that the altar is open for anyone who would like to come forward and reach out to God, maybe in Thanksgiving, maybe to ask for help in growing and developing in faith, maybe for any request that you may have. let us trust in God to help us in our needs tonight. I would like to read from uh, One Peter, chapter three, I mean chapter one, verses three to five. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in this last time. If you would like to come to the altar, please do.